You are listening to audio from Redeemer Church in Tomball, Texas. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org. Amen. I ask you please uh, take your Bibles or your device and go to Exodus 25. We pick up in our series throughout the book of Exodus where we see people like us, their story, our story, where we are redeemed for God. And now the people of Israel, where we find them is they are camped out in front of Mount Sinai and they've experienced the love of God in profound ways. And not just with their hearts, but church, but they've seen the love of God with their eyeballs and and their sore calf muscles preached to them the love of God as they ran out of Egypt. And as they and as they walked through that Red Sea, and now as they are here at Mount Sinai, where we saw a couple weeks ago, where the Lord gave them the Ten Commandments, and then he gave them further explanations of all of these rules and all of these laws of, of how to follow him. And now as they pick up their journey again, as they're about to head back out and keep walking, they're going to head towards that land that was promised to their ancient father, Abraham. They still need to have church along the way. They're to gather and worship God as they're on the move. And what we see today in the tabernacle is this is the first mobile church. So this can resonate with us. They've got curtains. They've got hooks. They've got pegs. They've got pipe and drape. They've got medieval times things set up for some reason today. They've got courtyards and basins and all of these things. And this is why. All of these things are really what we're going to see is that they are a faint echo of home, of their home and our home. Because home isn't so much where the heart is. Home is where the Lord is. And that's what we see in these tabernacles and in the Messiah and in a mobile church. So let's read in Exodus 25, beginning in verse 1. And as we do every week, if you're able, let's stand together for the reading of God's word. And beginning in verse 1, our brother Moses tells us, And Yahweh spoke to Moses, Tell the Israelites to take an offering from me. You are to take my offering from everyone who is willing to give. And this is the offering you receive from them. Gold, silver, and bronze. Blue, purple, and scarlet yarn. Fine linen and goat hair. Ram skins dyed red and fine leather. Acacia wood, oil for the light, spices for the anointing oil and for the fragrant incense, and onyx along with other gemstones for mounting on the ephod and the breastpiece. They are to make a sanctuary for me so that I may dwell among them. You must make it according to all that I show you, the pattern of the tabernacle as well as the pattern of all of its furnishings. We're going to focus on one, the ark, verse 10. And they are to make an ark of acacia wood, 45 inches long, 27 inches wide, and 27 inches high. Overlay it with pure gold. Overlay it both inside and out. Also make a gold molding all around it. Cast four gold rings for it and place them on its four feet. Two rings on one side, two rings on the other side. It's amazing God has to tell them that. You're going to put four all on one side. Now spread them out. Verse 13. Make poles of acacia wood and overlay them with gold. Insert the poles into the rings on the sides of the ark in order to carry the ark with them. The poles are to remain in the rings of the ark. They must not be removed from it. Put the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark. Make a mercy seat or an atonement cover of pure gold. 
45 inches long, 27 inches wide. Make two cherubim of gold. Make them of hammered work at the two ends of the mercy seat. Make one cherubim at one end and one cherub at the other end. At its two ends, make the cherubim, these are angels, one piece with the mercy seat. The cherubim are to have wings spread out above covering the mercy seat with their wings and are to face one another. The faces of the cherubim should be toward the mercy seat and set the mercy seat on top of the ark. But the tablets of the testimony that I will give you into the ark, I will meet with you there above the mercy seat between the two cherubim that are over the ark of the testimony. I will speak with you there from about all that I command you regarding the Israelites. Let's pray together. Holy Father, help us now. Would you meet with us right here at your mercy seat? Your son, his cross, his blood. Where blood was splattered so that we could stand in your presence. And with the sins of this past week, not deceive us that we've been cast out from your presence. And with the sins from years ago, not heap judgment on us thinking that you've kicked us to the curb. And with the sins that we're going to commit this week, would they, would they not deceive us that there is no more mercy seat? So meet us now, King Jesus, in your mercy, in your power, and in your name, by the Spirit, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. It's, it's good to be back after being in Mexico last week. Um, I was in Mexico on a mission trip to relax, to rest, and to not take more than 50 steps a day. Mission accomplished. You know, five days at an all-inclusive resort um, sounds, it's just what it sounds like. Amazing. U-H, amazing. It was amazing. But, but even while there, in a, in a literal paradise, you can begin to miss home. You miss your own bed. You miss your kids. And then all of that, you begin to realize, I'm going to miss having chips and guac streamed to me like Netflix. And if you've been on a long vacation or, or you've been away from home or work trip for, for a long period of time, you do start to get a little homesick. And then when you come home from work, even like something this week or this past week, and you get the kids to bed and you plop down on the couch and you let out a sigh. It almost sounds like Selah when you lay down on, on the bed or the couch. Because there's something about routines and rhythms at, at home that feel right. And what we just read and what all this is about, this ark, this table, this lampstand, the tabernacle, the lamps, the courtyards, all all of these things, God goes into all of these details. Make the table this many inches. Make the table this high. Make the table this wide. God does all of these things not because he is super into architecture. God does all of these things not because he is the original HGTV. Beloved, God goes into all of these details because what Moses is making and what the people are receiving and what we're going to see in a second is that he is showing them an exact replica of heaven. This is why he says, make it just like I said, because I'm giving you a scale model of what is in the heavenly places as the book of Hebrews, which is a complete explanation of the Old Testament, tells us Hebrews 8, 5. He says, these serve as a copy of, 
and a shadow of the heavenly things as Moses was warned when he was about to complete the tabernacle. There they're making them. And he says, for God said, be careful that you make everything according to the pattern that was shown to you on the mountain. Don't get creative. Do it just like I said, because I am showing you what your home is like. I am showing you what I am like too. And I will come and dwell and meet and live with, you, live with you there because the Lord is showing them home is where I am. Home is where I am with you. And so here's what the tabernacle is teaching us. God draws near to us and we should receive him. Look at verse eight of chapter 25 and actually look at your Bibles. So if you don't have a Bible, open up your phone, don't get on Facebook, but look, it drives me crazy when I say, look at your Bible and no one's heads move. Move your heads at your Bibles and see verse eight. They are, the, so Moses hears from the Lord, they are to make a sanctuary for me. Here's why the Lord wants this. Look, so that I may dwell among them. He doesn't say, I need this, set this up. No, he says, you need this so that I can come down and that I can meet with you without vaporizing you. What does this tell us about the Lord that he says, so that I may dwell among them? What, what insight does this give us about God? And really, I think when we read verses like this, we should wonder, what wrong thoughts about God does this deconstruct and dispose of? This tells us God is not distant and cold. God does not want to distance himself from you. And that's a lot what we think. We think we're too little, too insignificant, that we're too sinful, we're too unimpressive, and God wants nothing to do with this. God says, no, I want everything to do with you. I want to dwell with you, and I'm coming to dwell with you. We think we have to act in such a way to impress God and get his attention. God says, you don't got to do any of that. Actually, I'm, I'm coming to dwell with you. I'm coming near into your life. And when I was in high school, I went over to my friend Matt Brantner's house every single day. Almost every day. It was an unspoken rule, a, a habit that didn't even need to be talked about. I had early release. I, I got out before he did. I didn't have a final period. So I went to his house. I broke in. I would eat his Swiss cake rolls, grab some chocolate milk, and hang on his couch. No, no one's home. His parents aren't there. His grandma lived in the back. I think she called the cops one day, but I was coming over. And I can look back on that and say, I was just living out the fact that I'm made in God's image. I'm just being like my creator. I'm coming over. And there are a lot of kids that come over to our house now. There's bikes in our yard, all these kinds of things, having people coming over, coming to play, and it's great. They're acting like they're a creator. I'm coming over to dwell. And when God says, I'm coming down to dwell with you, he's saying, you cannot get rid of me because he is not a God who thunders from the heavens to scare us. In fact, he is a God who thunders among us, for us, to save us. Do you think God wants nothing to do with you? It's not true. God is more committed to you than you are committed to you. The prophet Jeremiah tells us that he knew us in the womb. Before you knew you, God knew you. 
The God of the Bible draws near to sinners, but what we can do wrongly is that we think of God's holiness and God is holy. He is set apart. He is the only God of the universe. He is gigantic, but do not interpret God's holiness as a kind of standoffishness. God's holiness is exactly the opposite of that. If him saying, because I am holy, you need me. Because I am holy, I am going to draw near to you because you cannot draw near to me. So I will make the first move and come to you. But that still leaves the problem with our sin. Our sin is repulsive. Our, our sin does distance us from God. This is why he talks about what we read in verses 10 through 22 about this Ark of the Covenant and this mercy seat, or your Bible may say an atonement cover, where they would kill these animals and take the blood and they would splatter this blood on this gold. Isn't that interesting? Why on gold? Most valuable element, right? Why on gold? Because something more valuable is needed, blood so that we can have access to God, so that we can draw near to him while he draws near to us. And this is where we see, and I know you've, you've heard of this phrase, this object, the Ark of the Covenant. And this is where I would make an Indiana Jones reference, but I haven't seen the movie. Okay, you need more reaction than that in other parts of the sermon from now on. That should just be a rule for us, Okay. God tells them to make a box, cover in gold, and have angels, cherubim, on each end of the box, bowing down towards the middle. Why? Because God says, I'm meeting with you there. They're a reminder of, of worship, of God meeting with them. Wherever there are angels, there is mercy happening. You remember what happened in the Garden of Eden? He kicks them out. What, hap- why? what happens? Two cherubim with flaming swords are put at the Garden of Eden. Why? So they will not come back in and eat the tree of life and be stuck in their sin forever. So cherubim are signs of God's power and and God's mercy. And God says, put these cherubim leaning towards the ark, towards the mercy seat, and look at verse 21. What does God say to put in the ark, into the mercy seat? 21, set the mercy seat on top of the ark and put the tablets of the testimonies of the law that I will give you, put them into the ark. Why? Why take the Ten Commandments and put them inside the ark? Here's why. Because the mercy of God is above the law. The mercy of God surrounds the law. And then, so now why is blood being thrown on top of the gold, on top of the ark, that's now kind of babushka dolled in there with the law and the Ten Commandments? Because mercy and blood are painted onto the law. It's telling, it's preaching to all of us, Obedience to the law cannot save us, but mercy and blood can. And look at what God says about this. Look at verse 22. Look at where God says, I will meet you. Verse 22. I will meet with you there above the mercy seat. Between the two cherubim, there where the angels are leaning, bowing faces down that are over the Ark of the Testament. God says, I will meet you there. Beloved, this defines how God meets with sinners and how God meets with people, mercy. And God is saying, this is my spot. Do you have a spot in your house that you know, like, that's my spot? That's your chair? Kids, you hear this sometimes, that's my spot, that's my spot. Every spot is a kid's spot, but they're wrong. 
Natalie has a spot. And when she's not there, I take it. Even when she comes in, you know, hey, you're in my spot. Just keeping it warm for you, babe. Just, it's the best spot. It's a perfect view of the TV. It's, you can take up the whole couch. It's a glorious spot. What God is saying with the mercy seat, he is saying, that's my spot. And that's where I meet with you. My spot is mercy. But don't think of mercy seat as furniture. Even though I just gave you a furniture analogy, forget that now. Don't think of it as furniture. Because that word seat is not our English word for a chair. It's the same thing when we say, oh, the heart is the what? The seat of the emotions. It's the location, the origin, where things arrive or, or come out of, where they can be traced back to. So he's saying this spot above the Ark of the Covenant with angels bowing down to it, that will have blood splattered on it. That is a seat, a location, a traceable reality to my mercy. That's my spot. Mercy, mercy is not getting what we deserve. These Hebrews, they should, their blood is the one that should have been sacrificed, splattered. But because of God's mercy, blood of bulls, lambs, and goats will be shed instead. Those bulls and sheep and lambs and goats and turtle doves and pigeons, they didn't break the laws that are tucked in to the inner holy of holies into that ark. They didn't break the laws that are tucked in there. They did. We did. But because of God's mercy, he says, I'll accept the blood of someone else, but it's got to be over and over and over again in these animals. And I'll draw near to you. You can draw near to me. Have you received him as he's drawn near to you? See, God's made a way. And beloved, I was going to go through all of these elements one by one and, and show you all these different things of how they apply and what God's teaching to us. And I was going to save this next part until the very end. But I think we have to talk about it now because I think by the end of the message, most of us would have checked out by then. Here's the whole point of the tabernacle. And it's all the table, the lamps, the bread, the, the basins, all, all of these things, the curtains, the ark. Jesus is the point. And, the, and what? That you would believe in him. Beloved, God has drawn near to you. It's almost Christmas. This is what we remember at Christmas, that Jesus, the eternal son of God, that he actually dwelt among us. That's the same word that John uses in John 1.14 where he says the word, this is about Jesus, became flesh. He put on a tent of meeting, skin like ours, not rams. Didn't need to be dyed because it had blood like ours in it. And he dwelt among us. That word literally in Greek, he tabernacled among us. So what the Jewish apostle John is saying, remember that tabernacle that they would set up, tear down, take out the pegs, fold up the curtains and go from spot to spot to spot and meet with God. He says, look at Jesus, the eternal son of God who put on a tent of meeting and who was born in Bethlehem and then taught and did miracles in Cana of Galilee and went to Capernaum and went to the Sea of Galilee and went from spot to spot to spot, Tyre and Sidon and spot to spot to spot because God was tabernacling among us. God was meeting with us, the eternal son of God. Do you see? 
What we have in Jesus is God the Son in a tent of meeting, bones and blood meeting with sinners, drawing near to sinners, saving sinners. Jesus has drawn near to you. Jesus saving people like you and me. And hopefully he saved you. And I think the grand question of this tabernacle and all of these things is really this. Have you met with God at his seat of mercy? Have you met with God at his mercy seat? Not church. Hear me. You do not meet God at church. No one meets God at church. The only place where we can meet the triune God is at the mercy seat, his son. You might find him here. He might meet you here. But we only meet God at the atonement cover, that mercy seat, his son. That with an ark that's splattered with blood, that speaks a better word than the blood of bulls and goats and lambs. But the blood of God's son himself. Or maybe you're trying to meet with God at a morality seat. I'm a good person. I, I, I'm doing more good than bad. Of course, God should meet with me. Listen, hear me. God does not have a morality seat. He has a mercy seat. Or maybe you want to meet with God at a self-improvement seat. I, I'm doing better. I know I, I've done some bad stuff in my past, but now I've really rehabilitated my life. I'm making better decisions. Hear me. God does not have a self-improvement seat. He has a mercy seat. He does not, there's not a human accomplishment seat. There's not a spirituality seat. Okay, I'm religious. I pray. I go to church every now and then. I even tithe sometimes, though I don't think about it. I just give whatever cash I have. It's not from the heart. I, but I do all these things. God says, no. I have a mercy seat. And the blood of Jesus is what brings you to me. You must only believe that when Jesus was dying on that cross, it was his blood paying for your sins, paying for all of the breaking of his law that you've done. And his blood was substituted so that you could be redeemed, so that you could belong to God again. Your failure to keep those commandments in that ark could be covered by the blood of the one who did. See, they had to sacrifice all the time. But now with one drop of Jesus's blood, it's good once for all time, as Hebrew says. Have you believed in Jesus? And are you still relying on him? A one-time profession of faith is not Christianity. An ongoing dependence on Jesus, that is Christianity. An ongoing realization that his blood is on the mercy seat, is my atonement cover so I can have access to God. That is Christianity. And this tabernacle, the point of the tabernacle and all of its trappings are this. It is a visual commentary for you. I know that in our culture we say, oh, I'm more of a visual learner. I'm, I'm more visual. I, I don't learn by reading so much. I'm more visual. God says, great. I made an entire tabernacle and temple to show you exactly what Jesus came to do. Don't view the tabernacle as a, oh, you know, Jesus is kind of a commentary on the tabernacle. It is the other way around completely. The tabernacle is a commentary on Jesus. 
The tabernacle is, I know Kathy, our children's minister, is going to love this. The tabernacle is a literal flannel graph for what Jesus came to do. It's all visual aids. It's all a glimpse into the gospel. You remember how there's this Holy of Holies? We sang it. There was this veil that was separating the Holy of Holies in the temple and also in the tabernacle from people could not access it. Only, only the high priest could go once a year. When Jesus dies, what happens? The veil rips top to bottom. Why? We've read it. Why? Have you ever thought about why did that happen? Because the copy wasn't needed anymore. We can throw the copy in the trash. Because now the real thing has been given to you in Jesus. You know why we don't have a bread of the presence, why we don't have lampstands, why we don't have a tabernacle anymore? Because we don't need these things anymore because they are all found and answered and resting in Christ. You know how the the cherubim are over the Ark of the Covenant? Because that's God's mercy seat. There they are. What happens in Jesus' resurrection? An angel rolls back the stone. Then what does the angel do? The angel sits on the stone. They sat on the mercy seat and now they sit on the empty tomb. Bowing, showing us here's another seat of God's mercy. The empty tomb of Jesus Christ. Inviting sinners, come. Inviting sinners to come and experience the mercy of God. So don't glaze over the descriptions of the tabernacle. They are actually showing you, here's what Jesus has done for you. The table with bread. We don't have time to read all of them. I'll just point out a couple of them. Exodus 25, 30, he says, put the bread of the presence on the table before me at all times. This isn't for God. This is for us to know God provides for us. God sustains us. Then what does Jesus do? In John 6, Jesus shows up and says, I am the living bread. Remember that bread? I'm that bread that came down from heaven. And if anyone eats this bread, he will live forever. And the bread that I will give for the life of the world is my flesh. Jesus says, I will be crucified. But if you will believe in my flesh and eat it by faith, you will be saved. The bread of the presence is me. The lamp stands. The 70, look at Exodus 25, 39. He says, this lampstand with all, it's supposed to have seven branches, perfection. Look like almond blossoms. It's supposed to be beautiful. But look at how much it weighs. This lampstand with all these utensils is to be made from 75 pounds of pure gold. This is not a home goods lamp. This is expensive. This is heavy. This is significant. And these things would have been around the temple. There would have been great lamps and lights all over the temple. And Jesus says, and the shadow of all of these things, in John 8, 12, I am the light of the world. Anyone who follows me will never walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. These testify about me. Jesus even says that how much they love the temple. He says, oh, I'm greater than the temple. And tear this temple down in three days and I will rise it back up again. The altar, these animals will be sacrificed. The whole book of Hebrews is saying Jesus was sacrificed for us on the cross for our sins. The basin where they would wash in and purify themselves before they came into the tabernacle and came into the temple were made clean in Christ and baptized, purified, sprinkled with his blood, the Bible says. Beloved, all of these things are telling you, you lack nothing in Christ. 
You lack nothing in Christ. You have everything you need in Jesus the Nazarene to be accepted by God, to rejoice, to worship. See, God is so descriptive of all of these things because he is showing you this is what your home is like. You would not buy a house sight unseen. You would not furnish a house unseen. And what he's doing here, I'm showing what your home is like in Christ. There is light. There is bread broken for your starving soul. There is the mercy of God given to you in the blood of his son where he died and rose again. And there is a way for you to be clean. There's a courtyard where you're welcomed into and have fellowship. Home is where the Lord is. Home is the Lord. And every Christian, you should feel a little homesick in this world at some point. We should not be so comfortable in this world because we have a true and better home. As Hebrews 13 tells us, we have an altar from which those who worship at the tabernacle, that that old one, do not have a right to eat. This is a different one. This altar. For that old one, the body of those those animals whose blood was brought into the most holy place and then sprinkled on that ark, that's what he's talking about, as a high priest, as a sin offering, they're burned outside the camp. Therefore, Jesus also suffered outside the gate. He said he was dragged outside of Jerusalem and he was crucified so that he might sanctify the people by his own blood. So let us then go outside the camp, bearing his disgrace. Whatever it costs us in this world to live as Christians, we will do it. Disgrace, fine. Hatred, fine. Jesus was hated and despised and rejected by men. And so we will go with him. You know why? This next line. For we do not have an enduring city here. Instead, we seek the one to come. Hebrews, telling us just like how the people that tabernacle, they could feel a little homesick, traveling, traveling, traveling. You too, Christian. You are a pilgrim, a sojourner in this world. And you ought to feel a little homesick. Especially this past week in the news. where a synagogue and Jews were targeted by hate. African-Americans targeted by hate. Politicians targeted by hate. That should make all of us have a pit in our stomach that none of this is right. Because we don't have an enduring city here. The news preaches to you another story as well. America is not right. America is not our home. The United States is not the new Israel. The United States is not a Christian nation because we have the Christian nation that is to come. The kingdom of God that is to come on earth as it is in heaven. We have, so we should feel a little homesick in this world knowing that we have a place where the King of Kings and the Prince of Peace, he will rule forever. And there'll be so much peace in this place that a child can put his hand into a cobra's den and not worry. This new place will have so much peace that a lion and a lamb can lay down together and there be no bloodshed. 
because the Prince of Peace will rule. So here we do not have a lasting city. We are a little homesick and we seek the one to come. But until then, this last line of Hebrews 13, therefore, through him, we don't say, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. No, we continually offer up to God a sacrifice of praise, which is what? The fruit of lips that confess his name. So until that day, when the skies are rolled back and the Lord descends and the kingdom lands, the new Jerusalem lands on this earth, we offer up praise. We offer up his name off of our lips, Christ alone. And Christ is the Lord. Christ is the bread of the presence we need. Christ is the mercy seat everyone in the world needs. Christ is the light that everyone in this world needs. Christ is the basin where we are cleansed that everyone needs. And Christ's blood is everything that we need. We have a new city. We have a new Jerusalem. And we have a new future. And we have a reason to praise and confess his name. Confess Christ again. We are pilgrims. We are sojourners. We are traveling there. And in one way, we're already there, aren't we? Because we are in Christ, seated with him in the heavenly places. But at the same time, the book of Revelation tells us, come, Lord Jesus. The spirit and the bride say, come. But until then, we offer up lips that confess his name. And let's confess his name together now. Let's pray to him. Thank you for listening. To find out more information about our church, visit us at makingmuchofjesus.org.